Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus podcast. This is a Macro Matters edition. I'm Ira Jersey. I'm the chief U.S. interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. I'm joined today by two individuals in Bloomberg Intelligence's research staff. First is Nathan Dean. He is a uh, senior analyst in our Washington, D.C. area, talking about all things government as well as a number of other um, uh, companies that he covers. And also Angelo Monolados, who will be here for our Fun Fed Facts segment at the end of the episode. Nathan, thanks for coming back on uh, the FIC Focus podcast. It's been quite a while. It has. And thanks for having me back. It's a real pleasure. So, of course, the reason we have you on is because there's an interim, uh, a midterm election in a couple of months, and we want to talk about that. But but before the election uh, is is really upon us, we have um, some other things like, for example, a government to fund, which obviously uh, Treasury investors will, will care about what's going on with uh, the continuing resolution and whether or not the government will shut down for any period of time. Um, any thoughts on the, the continuing resolution and whether there'll be a, a big fight given that? there's going to be an election in early November? You know, I, I think you could take September and you could rename it, do as, fa- do as much as you can as fast as possible and get out of town. The, uh, the folks in Congress, obviously there's an election coming. The House of Representatives is only back for 13 days. Now, right now, there are still seven appropriation bills that the House has to move on. They're not going to get to it. In fact, they could have passed it before they left. Uh, and so the, the thought here is, is like you mentioned, there is going to be a continuing resolution. Now, is there going to be a government shutdown? No. Um, You know, government shutdowns are bad politics, uh, especially in election years. And because the House is only back for 13 days, they essentially want to get into town, pass a continuing resolution, kick the can down the road another six months, get out of town and go back to campaigning. Um, You are going to see the Senate do a little bit more in terms of hearings and calls and maybe uh, additional, uh, uh, you know, uh, press conferences and so forth like that, just about budget matters and, you know, extending certain programs like the National Flood Insurance Program, et cetera. All this has to be done by September 30th. But the story is essentially they're just going to kick the can down the road. They're going to move on to the election and then we'll have these fights more in earnest next year uh, with a new Congress. So what's the how long do you think the continuing resolution will be? Is, is it going to be till January or do you think that they're going to have to come back in a lame duck session and, um, and and do another continuing resolution or finish up the budget? Like what's the kind of timeline? Like what can we expect in terms of headlines, um, you know, kind of around the budget for the rest of the year? I'm going to guess March. Um, and the reason why I say March is because this lame duck session both stands to be both interest or uh, uh, there's actually more coming up in this lame duck session than I would argue uh, normally is. But at the same time, because the odds suggest that the Republicans take the House, uh, you know, the Republicans are going to want to be able to look at bills and look at legislation and look at the budget from a position of strength. And so you are going to see some bills passed in the lame duck, but for the most part, Republicans, if they do end up taking the House, as the polls suggest, are just going to say, OK, let's move forward to January. 
Um, now, the reason why I suggest March as opposed to January is just because, you know, when Congress comes back, uh, you're going to have a lot of new members. They have to find their offices. They have to find out where the cafeteria is. They have to learn and what the agenda is. And so if the Republicans do take the House, uh, you know, most of the time when we see flips of this nature, uh, the new majority leader, uh, the new you know, speaker of the House, whatever the case may be, they usually take about two months to get their agendas in line. And they say, OK, this bill is going to go first, then this bill, then this bill. So if you set this continuing resolution up for March, you give enough time for uh, the Republicans, if, again, if they take the House, to get this agenda set, to get their members briefed in emotion, and then the, 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 the fights start. Now, I don't anticipate a large threat of a government shutdown in March. Uh, the reason being is, is that it's still too new. Um, you know, the Republicans, if they do tend, if they do win, they want to come in as a position and they want to show that they can actually get stuff done. I mean, obviously, there are some uh, members of the Republican Party that would like to be seen picking a fight with the Biden administration almost instantly. But I, I think that's just going to be that's just too soon after coming in. And so I actually think more shutdown threats are more likely in the, the tail end of 2023. So a couple of thoughts on that. So first, firstly, it's the uh, um, the basement of the Longworth building is where the cafeteria is. Um, secondly, <laughs> the um, you know, who let, let, let's talk a little bit about the structure here, because you mentioned, you know, that that, OK, maybe there's not going to be any serious budget battles really until the second half of of 2023, maybe around the end of that fiscal year. Um, so, so, there, so there's a couple of different um, important facts that that it that it kind of occur. So number one is I would note that budget deficits tend to be better when we have split governments. So basically when the government does absolutely nothing, um, you know, both parties come in and they like to increase the deficit one way or the other. In the case of Republicans, it's cut uh, it's cut taxes and that increases the deficit. And on the Democrats, they just like to spend more and, and that increases the deficit the other way um, because of other reasons. But when you have a split government, you te do tend to get somewhat better, um, somewhat better budget deficits. Um, than, than single party rule. But it, let's talk about the details of, of what a Republican House might look like. So so who who wind up becoming the leaders? Who's going to be the, uh, um, the the speaker or potentially going to become the speaker? And do, do they have an agenda that's significantly different than um, maybe what the Senate leadership might have in terms of, uh, of on the Republican side? Absolutely. So if Kevin McCarthy becomes the Speaker of the House, if the Republican, and that would be the most likely scenario, you know, you just have to remember, though, is the House doesn't have all that much power. And so if the Republicans own the House, but not the Senate, and right now the odds do say that the Democrats have a decent chance of keeping the Senate, but if the Republicans just own the House, there's not much they can do other than try and score political points. You know, certainly they can pass lots of legislation. That legislation will then go to die in the Senate. They will have lots of hearings. Uh, in fact, you've already seen Republicans on Twitter start threatening to say, save your documents, save all of your information, because come next year, you're going to be coming up to Capitol Hill and testifying. But it's a political perception game. It's not actually a real game in terms of real legislation or anything like that. The biggest concern that we have from a gridlocked government is these points of contention where you have the government shutdowns, the debt ceilings. And this is essentially, if you go back to the tail end of the Trump administration, where 
You know, we had a 34-day government shutdown. We had a debt ceiling threat. I mean, so forth like that. The markets didn't like it. Um, now, ultimately, nothing real. I would argue that you know everything was able to get resolved and so forth like that. So it's a lot of political gridlock and a lot of political roadblocks and scaring headlines and so forth like that. That's possible. The one caveat that I would throw to this is that if President Biden announces sometime next year that he is not going to run for re-election, I think a lot of that tailors down. And the reason being is, is that if he decides that he is not going to run for re-election, he effectively becomes a lame duck. And a lot of the attention will move away from President Biden and move to whoever is going to be running to replace him. And in a lot of times, from what we see in the last year of a president's term, they actually pivot away from domestic policy and focus more on foreign policy and trade. That's where they have a lot more power. You can effectively bypass Congress through a lot of that. And so if President Biden announces that he's not going to run for re-election, I expect a lot of the headlines to die down. People essentially just going to focus on 2024, and those headlines will be the ones that we actually start to need to be thinking about. So let's talk about, um, the, you mentioned the debt ceiling, and of course we had talked before we started recording that we were going to have to mention it at, at some level. Um, you know, is is there still this thought within the Republicans in Congress that they can use, continue to use the debt ceiling as just another avenue to talk about government finances and, and, and the like, or have they, you know, especially after uh, the, the Trump administration and some of the debt ceiling inks that occurred during his term, you know, have they, if, are they thinking about backing off from having fights about the debt ceiling uh, in the future? So the debt ceiling fight, and you, you know, like you mentioned, you and I were talking about it, you know, the debt ceiling fight, uh, you know, probably comes at the end of 2023 or the beginning of 2024. Uh, interesting to note, you know, as, as we discussed earlier, you know, the debt ceiling was raised by 2.5 trillion. It wasn't suspended. So as opposed to an X date, now we just have to rely on people like you to tell us when this is actually going to occur. But the problem or the issue that I see with the debt ceiling issue is that um, the Republicans have really not moved away from this idea of, uh, you know, when the last time this occurred, you know, you know, Senator, uh, uh, now Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell, were saying, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to give you any votes whatsoever. Uh, we're going to pass a bill that allows us to avoid the filibuster, then allows you to essentially pass the, uh, the debt ceiling with just Democratic votes. That position has not changed. And so now, if you have a House that's controlled by the Republicans, you have a Senate, and let's just say the Democrats keep the Senate, you just have another situation where the games are going to continue. Now, I don't think you'll ever see a scenario in which the debt ceiling is breached. There are enough senators on the Republican side, and I think there's enough moderate House members on the Republican side as well, that eventually would vote for something to increase the debt ceiling. Um, you know, so I don't think you'll ever run into a situation where the debt ceiling is breached, but it's just going to be a continuation of the political games, the headlines, and so forth like that. Um, you know, if this happens at the tail end of 2023, going into 2024, at the same time, you're going to have a political presidential run uh, happening. So, you know, that can impact things slightly, but uh, it, it is coming. Um, it's it's going to be coming and it's going to be noisy. 
So yeah, the debt ceiling, according to you know our kind of back of the envelope calculations, is not really going to be an issue for the 2023 fiscal year. Um, but in the fourth quarter, fourth calendar quarter of next year, or the first calendar quarter of 2024, is really when um, when the debt ceiling will be a big issue. And and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of variability around that because uh, tax receipts have been coming in so hot that actually deficits could be much better over the course of the next three or four quarters, and that could push out the the debt ceiling. But it's hard to see see how um, how when you wind up with tax refunds in February of 2024 that that's not around the time that the uh, the debt ceiling will become a big problem um, at, at the kind of at the latest at the earliest it could be in the fourth quarter of next year so Nathan as investors are looking at Congress and looking at at you know potential budgets, whether it's continuing resolutions or a full budget regime that um, th through the regular budget process, which we only get one out of every, what, five, six, seven years or something. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, who, who are the who are the members of Congress that we really should be looking out for? So we always think of, you know, the likes of uh, Joe Manchin and Susan Collins and, um, you know, maybe Christine uh, 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 Senma um, in, in the Senate, and then, you know, maybe some members, more moderate members of the House of Representatives, too, who kind of become the deal makers is, ha, you know, have those shifted at all? Are any of those members, you know, likely to to be leaving? And um, and, and are there new and upcoming kind of statespeople who, uh, who, who will maybe drive policy from the middle? So, you know, I, I think in the House, it's going to be the same, you know, it's going to be the same leadership. Um, you know, it, let's just again if presume the Republicans take the House. You're going to have Kevin McCarthy, you know, Representative Scalise, Representative Brady, and so forth like that. That's going to be the same. Uh, that the, the leadership will be will be there. And because I don't anticipate budget uh, a budget actually passing, you know, the appropriations process when they go through the committees, I view that as just a nice information thing. I mean, it, it's not like. Uh, you know, they get these ideas and they can potentially pass these bills. But as we know, these bills never go anywhere. It's just when they cut to the, the government shutdown time, they cobble together a, a patchwork and then they move forward. Um, in the Senate, it's the same players. It's Senator McConnell, Senator Schumer, Senator Manchin, you know, Senator Sinema. You know, the reconciliation process, however, that, that the uh, Democrats used in this term to pass the Inflation Reduction Act and so forth, which allowed them to bypass the filibuster wouldn't exist though next year if the House belongs to the Republicans. And so you're gonna need 60 votes. And that at that point, you're gonna need Senator McConnell to get, you know, 10, you know, nine, eight, seven, you know, different uh, uh, um, Republicans to come on board. Or if the Republicans win the Senate, uh, you're gonna need to get, again, more moderate senators to go on board with this. And so, um, you know, it's it's going to be the same players. The caveat is, is that now that they have power or now that the Republicans are likely to have power, you know, there is going to be some additional responsibility and pressure on their ends to actually get stuff done. Because the brinkmanship that we've seen during the tail end of the Obama administration, I'm sorry, yeah, the tail end of the Obama administration and the tail end of the Trump administration, markets don't like that. Um, as you know, it's markets don't like it. The you know whether you're in equities or FIC or whatever, you just don't like it. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on these folks to keep that down to a minimum. You know, can they? I'm not so sure. But ultimately, again, we don't think there's a debt ceiling collapse. We don't think that there's going to be. There could be a government shutdown, but if government shutdown occurs, there's very little impact to equity markets. 
So in the long run, again, lots of headlines, but uh, not a ton of market impact, at least I would argue from uh, at least, you know, unless we get really close to a debt ceiling issue. So let's talk a little bit about your inside the beltway view here. Um, I've been using some information from uh, voteview.com, which shows how partisan Congress has gotten. So when I worked on Capitol Hill 30 years ago, uh, there were a lot of uh, moderates or who you would consider moderates in in both from both the Democrats and the Republican side. Um, That shifted quite significantly over the last uh, couple of decades where you've seen this big shift toward more and more partisanship. And in fact, in the uh, in the Senate, you're now the most partisan that uh, the Senate has been since the days of the John Adams administration, uh, and when you had um, you know the intolerable acts and some other um, th- some other things going on in uh, uh, the Alien and Sedition Acts, I, I, I meant, meant to say. Um, so, you know, do, do you think that there is the possibility that we can wind up getting more moderate members or is Congress just in general, you think going to become even more partisan than it already is? You know, the partisan is going to continue. Um, you know, it, it's, there's not a really an incentive for parties to get more moderate at the moment. Um, you know, you have seen certain members uh, once they win their primary, try and moderate their views. Uh, but you know, it, there's really no incentive. Uh, especially in the House, um, because it, it, if you go moderate, you know, more likely than not, you lose your primary. Um, we've seen that, obviously, with a lot of the Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump. Um, but I would say, though, is that um, you know, presidential politics tends to be able to avoid some of that. And uh, what I mean by that is, obviously, when you go through the primary season, you know, you will have uh, quite a bit of partisan views, both on, on both sides, especially if you have Democrats running to replace President Biden, if he were to say that he's not going to run again. Um, but presidential politics usually forces them to go to a moderate position for the general election. So even though the House is really partisan and the Senate has become more partisan, I still think the Senate works. Um, I still think that there's enough uh, folks in the Senate that actually were able to get stuff done. And so I don't see it's going to change all that much. It's not going to get better, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, I, at least not in the next two years, it's not going to be like the tail end of the Trump administration where we had government shutdowns left and right. Um, this one, uh, I, I think it's going to be just a more continuation of the same but with a lot more hearings and a lot more investigations. Great. Nathan, thanks very much for coming back on the Fick Focus podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. And now we turn to our Fun Fed Facts segment. Today, as we record, is the 24th of August, 2022. And we have the Jackson Hole Symposium starting tomorrow at uh, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The Kansas City Federal Reserve uh, hosts this symposium every year. There is always, almost always, a Federal Reserve Chair that speaks to at, at one of the opening keynote uh, addresses, and Jerome Powell will be doing so again this week uh, on Friday morning with uh, our Fun Fed Facts segment. We go to Angelo Monolatos. Angelo, what has the uh, the Kansas City Fed Symposium brought us from the um, from the chair's speech in in recent years? Yeah, Aaron, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so last year we had a uh, a speech where Powell um, talked about you know, the COVID recovery and where we were. So we were, uh, the backdrop was that there were still um, a, a wide employment gap. Uh, many people were still unemployed. 
so there was a little bit uh, more room there on on the employment front, at least in Powell's words. And then uh, inflation was actually running uh, uh, higher uh, than they had expected, but they had pinned it to some transitory factors, and they focused and he focused on uh, inflation um, not being broad based at the time, looking at measures of breadth uh, at the time, and that being an indication that. Uh, Perhaps it uh, there's not a lot of things to worry about. He laid out, um, you know, what was driving inflation and how that uh, uh, in in some some scenarios that uh, in the 1950s that he could uh, that he could point to for maybe why policy should not overreact to uh, the inflation that they were seeing at that time. However, uh, a lot of things have changed since then. Uh, inflation has broadened out tremendously, uh, running at uh, you know, multi-decade highs. Wage pressure, which was not a concern uh, or a major concern then, uh, is has increased quite uh, tremendous uh, at a rapid pace. Uh, when you look at what the, what the Fed look at, the, the Fed tends to look more uh, more closely at the ECI index and at the Atlanta Fed's uh, measures. Those were also in the speech last year as two measures to look at. Those have increased. Uh, those have increased uh, outside of the uh, Fed's comfort zone. But uh, we've also seen 225 basis points of tightening this year, really rapid front loading of interest rate hikes. So um, with that, I think I think it's maybe me and you can have a, a, a short discussion on what we expect uh, from here and what uh, Chairman Powell might tell us at the, the symposium this year. Yeah, so the, the title of the symposium this year is Reassessing Constraints on the Economy and Policy. So. Um, you know, uh, it seems to me like they they are trying to figure out how to calibrate monetary policy with the constraints in the economy, because we have seen some sectors like ha the housing market, for example, you know, very, very um, sensitive to interest rate sector really plummet where you've seen home sales just decline. You're starting to see a rollover in prices, at least in some jurisdictions. I, I would note anecdotally, it doesn't seem like it's that way where I live, but but elsewhere and, and nationally, it does seem like you have home home price appreciation starting to, to turn quite significantly. Um, but you also have other constraints as well, where you have um, where you have employment continuing to be very strong, where you have, you know, apparently there's people People who are losing their jobs and wind up getting a, another job offer the same day um, and at much higher wages, right? So you, you do have significant shifts in um, you do have significant shifts in in uh, parts of the economy that that are are some some ways leaning toward you know more hawkish and or more inflationary, and then others that that seem to be um, kind of pulling back a little bit. So so I think that. That Jay Powell is probably going to continue his discussion, saying that the Fed is very serious about fighting inflation, but also noting that um, a slowdown in the economy is is going to be welcome as long as it's not recessionary. Um, you know, the I think the challenge that that the Fed has, and and in communication in particular, is that they they don't want the economy to fall into recession, but you know how to get such uh, inf inflation, particularly core inflation, significantly lower than where it is right now. Um, it's going to take them some some time, and and you know even probably much higher interest rates than what the market's currently pricing in order to get there. Um, I don't know, Angelo. Do you have any uh, any differing view from that? Yeah, I think the Fed speak that we've had 
since the July meeting is pretty indicative of of what uh, what they're gonna what they're gonna say that hey we have front loaded um, to maybe save us some pain in the future. That's kind of been the uh, the statement that uh, central banks have been making in North America, be it uh, Canada and the U.S. However, I think the point that he's going to try to make with that is yes, we have front loaded, and now as you're saying, they're going to go into calibration mode, um, and they're going to try. They're going to continue to try to uh, get market participants, economists, to not uh, believe that the the Fed is uh, even thinking about cutting, um, at least in the next calendar year. Uh, so perhaps in 2024, that's kind of uh, may, maybe when they when they would cut, uh, you know, according to the Fed view. But they they don't want to they they don't want to cut next year. Um, we talked a little bit about like asset purchases and um, uh, sorry asset asset runoff right now. So uh, maturing and principal paydowns from uh, mortgages. Uh, but as something you've pointed out recently is I, they probably won't mention. They may not mention sales yet, just because they haven't ramped up um, to the full runoff amount yet. So, why mention MBS sales uh, when you haven't seen at least a couple of months of you know, the full scale uh, runoff? Yeah, and I continue to think, Angela. So, so to the point that you just made about the the Fed not cutting next year, um, I, I think the 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 market took Powell's comments from the July meeting that they were going to slow the pace of, of interest rate increases to mean that they were going to do less interest rate increases. And you certainly saw that in, in the market reaction to it. Um, but what, what but I think, and, and I continue to think, that by going back to 25 basis point hikes, say, after the September meeting, um, it just helps them calibrate, like, uh, you know, when when are we going to stop? So if they were still hiking in 50 basis point increments, it might be a little bit more difficult for them to stop. So in a way, this is a way for 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 the Fed to say, OK, look, we're, we're going to be at 3 percent, you know, now. Um, and, you know, we want to go to four, four and a quarter, four and a half percent, but we're not sure exactly where. So by going in 25 basis point increments and and watching the data more closely and and trying to figure out what their projections can be, they can then stop at some level much easier if if they're going a bit slower. And then and then to your point, and and this is something that Mary Daly and a couple of other members of the FOMC had mentioned, is basically finding that level wherever it is, even if it's three and a half percent, and then staying at that level for an extended period of time until it's very clear that inflation is more under control. Uh, Angelo, anything else to uh, to add to this discussion today? Yeah, I think I think the conversation uh, will definitely start, at least in terms of market participants. We're start we're going to see another month of the headline inflation cooling, both in the U.S. and Canada. Um, uh, retail gas prices, as they measure a monthly average, a monthly average have have declined um, have declined again. Uh, so we will see a further cooling there, but it's important to look at those core sectors and core services, uh, which uh, the current expectation for core CPI, at least in August uh, and potentially September, is actually going to be higher than the levels that we saw in July. So uh, yeah, the Fed is going to see this as having definitely having more work to do and and keeping that you know policy rate elevated for a little bit a little bit longer than some market participants are thinking at this point. Great. Well, that was Angelo Monolatos. On behalf of Nathan Dean and Angelo, I've been Ira Jersey. If you have any ideas for topics you'd like us to discuss on the Fic Focus podcast, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. And until next time, be well.